Church, good morning. I am so, so, so excited to be with you this morning. If we have not met before, my name is Bryce Holdman, and I am the middle school coordinator here at the church. I began that position in January of this year, and it has been a blessing so far. And here's how I know it's going to be a blessing in the future, because God's hand is on this student ministry. God's hand is all over this church, and even inside this church, the student ministry is thriving here. Myself and my family moved here when I was in sixth grade, and we have been here ever since. And so I've grown up in the student ministry fully through middle school and fully through high school. And I have seen God change my life, literally change my life because of this student ministry here. And now I get the privilege to be on the other side of that. So that's just a little bit about my background of this church, but a little more about me. I go to a school 30 minutes away called Columbia International University, go Rams. And uh, I'm a junior there, 21 years old, pursuing business and Bible, but ultimately pursuing a call to ministry, which I feel I received when I was a freshman in college at Newberry College. And ever since, God has been making it clearer and clearer and clearer to me what that looks like. And today, the reason I say it's a privilege to stand on this stage is because I get to take one more step closer to what God has next. One more step closer to that call that I believe he's given me upon my life. And so I am very thankful and blessed to be here and to share with you today. So we're in this series called Waiting Room. And every week of this series so far, we've looked at a certain instance in scripture where someone or certain people, multiple people, were, ter- were, were told by God to wait. And they were, they, they were put in a situation where they just had to wait and be faithful in that waiting. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a guy in the Old Testament named David who you may have heard of before, and how he had to wait on God's promise that he made him seven years prior to when it came to completion. And so before we jump in, before we even open the scriptures, there's one more thing I got to tell you about myself, and that is that I love scripture with a passion. And the reason I love scripture, opening it, studying it, reading it, meditating upon it, and even preaching about it, is because I have seen it radically shift the way I've been living. As I said, I've grown up in this student ministry. I've I've sat under teachings every Wednesday night and every Sunday night throughout middle school and high school of people like Trevor Miller, Matt Densky, Tyler Smith, Daniel Stevanis. And I have seen them and their passion for scripture and their passion for Christ reshape who I am today. And so this morning, including myself, I don't want anybody to, to come in here just to check off the box that they opened their Bible or just to check off their box that they came to church. God, I I read your word today, check. God, I came to church, check. God, I talked to that person that sits next to me every week, check. And then go about your day completely forgetting what God had to say to you this morning. Because I, I truly believe that God has given me a word to share with all of us, me included. And even at the nine o'clock service, when I preach the same message, I feel like God had something to say then, and he still has something to say now to everyone in this room. But the only way that's gonna happen, the only way we're gonna receive that from God is if we take a step back and let him do what he wants to do without any distractions in the way that we could possibly put in his way. So this morning, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have that smartphone app, the Holy Bible, feel free to turn there on there. Or some of the scriptures, most of the scriptures that we'll be reading will be on the screen to my right and to my left. So join me in turning there. 1 Samuel 16. So as I said, this morning we're going to be talking about the life of David, but specifically how David was faithful in the waiting. He was faithful in the waiting, he was active in the waiting, he was obedient in the waiting, and we're going to hit on all three of those points, but the big idea this morning is how to remain faithful to God in the waiting, in the waiting room. 
So this morning, as we start in chapter 16, we're going to read from it in a second, but I want to give you a little bit of context. So in this chapter, Saul is currently the king of Israel. He's currently on the throne, but he has started to go his own way a little bit. And God has now said, I'm rejecting Saul, I'm anointing a new king. And I need you, Samuel, the guy we're about to read about in a second, Samuel, a prophet to the nations, I need you to go and anoint this new king. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I'm going to tell you where you can find him. And he tells him, go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem, and one of his sons is going to be the next king. In 1 Samuel 16:1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the next king. So he goes, he goes to Bethlehem, he finds Jesse, his household, and he knocks on Jesse's door and he says, Jesse, I've got good news for you. God is anointing one of your sons, the next king of Israel, in Saul's place. Now, if I'm Jesse, I'm overjoyed. Okay, my, one of my sons is actually going to become something huge, which is the king of Israel, but he doesn't know who yet. And so Samuel tells him, go get your sons, meet me outside, and we're gonna find out from God which one he's anointing. So Jesse goes, he, he gets his sons, and they all line up. And the first one Samuel sees, his name is Eliab. And so as soon as he sees him, he looks at him. He, does, he, has, he has not even talked to him yet. He just looks at him. And he says, oh, surely, surely Eliab, this man right here, surely he's the next Lord's anointed. And the reason he says that is because of what Eliab looks like. He sees Eliab immediately and knows he looks like a king. Therefore, he must be the next king. And so God gets his attention, though. And God says, Samuel, Samuel, I need your attention real quick. Because the truth is, man looks at the outward appearance, 1 Samuel 16, 7, but God is focused on the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God, the Lord, looks at the heart. And I want to pause here for a few moments. Maybe there's somebody in here, if you're anything like me, who looks in the mirror and sees you as the world sees you. Because what the world will tell us is that the only time that we're worthy of anything is if we look the part. The, the, the only time I can approach God in prayer or in praise is if I'm dressed correctly or if I look a certain way. But instead, what, God, what, what I believe God wants us to hear very clearly this morning is that he doesn't see you the way the world sees you. The world, men, are going to look at you based on your outward appearance. But God is only focused on your heart. And in terms of this story that we're looking at right now, God knew that because Saul looked good, because Saul looked like a king, he was anointed king. But now he sees where Saul's heart was. Saul's heart was not focused on God. It was focused on himself and elsewhere. So now God knows, I need someone who's going to be a man after my own heart, which later David is called. So this morning, I, I want us all to be able to wrap our heads around that truth above all else right now in this moment that God is not focused on your outward appearance. He's only focused on your heart. So then in, in verse 13, we, we read of this anointing. So David has come. Samuel goes to Jesse after being unsuccessful in his sons that Jesse brought out to him. And he says, okay, Jesse, we've gone through all your sons that you've brought me, and now God has rejected all of them. Do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, actually, now that you asked Samuel, there is one, the youngest, 
and uh, he's, he's just out in the field shepherding the sheep like normal. And so Samuel freaks out, whoa, 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 you have one more son that you withheld from me. You, you have to go get him because maybe, just maybe, this is the Lord's anointed. Because here, here, here's what Samuel realized, is that God made him a promise. I'm promising you, Samuel, that you will come back successful in finding a new king when you go to Jesse's household. One of his sons will be my next king. So Samuel knows there's got to be somebody else. There's got to be somebody else that, that, that Jesse has not brought to my attention yet. And so David walks in humbly after shepherding the sheep, not quite knowing what's going on. And immediately God tells Samuel, this is the one. This is him. Forget what he looks like. His heart is postured in the right place. Anoint him right now. And so in 1 Samuel 16, 13 on the screen to my right and left, this is what scripture says. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, in preparation for this sermon, I've read this passage of scripture, this whole story, multiple times. And I, I've, I've read this verse multiple times. But I felt like God kept bringing me back to this verse for some reason. I was so ready to move on and talk about what we'll get to in a few minutes. But for some reason, I felt like I was bringing me back to this. And then it hit me one day when I, when I actually stopped and looked at the verse more closely in context to what we're talking about today. I was so focused on the first sentence, which, which, which takes up most of the verse, that I missed the ending. Samuel then went to Ramah. And, and here's the significance behind that. Isn't it interesting, very, very interesting, how Samuel makes this big of a promise to David, anoints him, and he doesn't answer any questions about what to do next. He doesn't give him any context. He doesn't give him any specifics. He just anointed him the next king of Israel. And if I'm David, I'm super excited. Yes, I'm going to be the next king. What now? And I'm going to have all these questions. Who do I need to talk to? What do I need to do? Where, 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 where do I need to go from here, Samuel? But Samuel leaves without answering any of those questions. And here's why I think he did this. was well, because sometimes I believe that God will give us something without any context and ask us to trust him. David, I'm going to anoint you the next king of Israel, but I'm not going to map, I'm, 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 I'm not going to map that out for you. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like. I'm just going to make it happen, and I'm going to see how faithful you're actually going to be to me down the road. Like I said at the beginning, this took seven years from this point in David's life to when he finally got to the fulfillment of the promise when he was on the throne, when he was anointed king of Israel. And all that time, God brought him back to this moment that sometimes God will give us promises, will drop something on us without giving us any context or any specifics as to where to go next. And if I can be real with you folks for a second this morning, I think this is one way God figures out who is really willing to follow him anywhere and who isn't. Because here, here's what I believe, that if me or anyone else in this room if, if us following God hinges on getting our questions answered and having the path mapped out for us step by step, then we're going to get tired, we're going to get frustrated, and we're going to give up every single time. But here in the life of David, we see that he was called a man after God's own heart because the only thing he was focused on was God's heart. He was only focused on the calling God gave him. But from that point on, we, we see down the road in David's life that he was still faithful to that. God made me a promise. And if God says something, it's going to happen, period. There's no if, and, or buts about it. That when God says something, when he speaks it into existence, it's going to come to pass. And I truly believe that David believed that. 
And we see evidence of this reaction by David in a few situations that follow in 1 Samuel, the first of which involved Goliath. Now, before I told you, most of us know the story of David and Goliath. And so I'm not going to tell the whole story, but there's one part in the story that I want to highlight for us this morning. And it's in chapter 17. Verse 16 tells us that for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening, talking about Goliath, and took his stand. This shows us that until David shows up on the scene, no one in the Israeli army, including Saul, who was their king and commander, was willing to put up a fight against him. But when David sees him, he's willing to fight immediately. Now remember, when when David was anointed by Samuel, the spirit of the Lord came upon David. And David recognizes the power in that, in this moment, knowing that he's not in this fight alone. And that's the key. If, if, If David would have taken on Goliath without having the spirit of the Lord upon him, without having God's help, he would have been very unsuccessful. And it would have been over very quick, not in his favor. But instead, David already knows the outcome of this. And he tells Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, 1 Samuel 17, 45. So after saying this, we know how the story ends. David kills Goliath and is victorious, and the Israelites defeat the Philistines. Now this story is also an example of David's active waiting. So not only is David faithful, but he's active in his waiting. He was still waiting for God's promise of kingship to be fulfilled, but did not just sit around waiting on it. Instead, he was active in the situations that God had placed him in 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 the moments. While all of this is taking place, though, Saul, Saul, the current king, is watching from afar, not knowing that the man who just killed Goliath has been made the next king of Israel in his place. So Saul befriends David. He keeps him by his side, and he and Saul's son Jonathan become best friends, which we'll get to a little bit later. However, over the course of time, the people begin to favor David over Saul even though Saul is still their king. In 1 Samuel 18, 8 through 9, this shows us Saul's shift in mood toward David. As he says, they have credited David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. What more can, can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now what's ironic about the interactions between Saul and David from this point on is that Saul is desperately trying to kill David. Desperately. That is his one mission. But David has multiple opportunities to kill Saul, but he doesn't. In chapters 24 and 26, David spares Saul's life on two different occasions. But why? Because if I'm putting myself in David's shoes here, I've been told by God that I will be the next king of Israel. I've defeated Goliath when nobody else would even try. And the current king of Israel is trying to take my life. Not to mention that all of this is just, hasn't just been happening in a few days. Like I said previously, scholars believe this was a total of seven years from the time of the original anointing to when he was made king. So if I'm David, by this point, I've had enough. I've had enough. God, I've been waiting long enough. You've presented me with the opportunity to, to kill and destroy the one thing, the, the, the one person in my way to get to the throne. You've given me that opportunity. It's right in front of me. So God, it's time I end this waiting and just kill him. But instead, for some reason, David doesn't take matters into his own hands. You see, I believe David had a faith and trust in God that today I desire more than anything. He was on such a profound level with God, even from the beginning of his time with him, 
that he didn't need to question God's timing. He didn't allow pride to slip in after defeating Goliath. Rather, he recognized that it was God's power inside him that was able to win that battle. He didn't try to seek out Saul and kill him in return for Saul's pursuit of David's life. Rather, he was thanking God that those attempts on his life were unsuccessful. You see, the key to remaining faithful in the waiting is remaining focused on the one who's sovereign over the waiting. The key to remaining faithful in the waiting is to remain focused on the one who is sovereign over the waiting. And I want to illustrate this point for you. Can I have Anna and Jay join me on stage real quick? All right, so I'm going to play the role of God real quick. Anna, you play the role of Saul. And so Jay, stand right here. All right, so Jay's going to be David. All right, so Jay, look at me. So Jay is focused on God. David is focused on God. Anna is Saul. Now, in this story, every time that Saul tries to get a grasp on David, he's unsuccessful. Every time he tries to kill him, he's unsuccessful. But David is focused on God the entire time. He doesn't turn back, and he's, he's not worried about what's behind him. Is trying to get to him. Is trying to get a grasp on him to kill him. He's not worried about his enemies. He's only focused on God. But notice how God can see the whole situation. So every time Saul tries to get David, God knows it's happening before it even happens and he moves him out of the way. Every time he tries to get him again, he moves him out of the way. And again and again and again and again. Every single time Saul tries, he fails because God is with David. And because David is faithful to God, God is faithful to David and the promise he made him. And this morning, if we put ourselves in the shoes of David, I wonder how many people, including myself, have been so easily tempted to turn around and look at the enemies behind us trying to distract us from where our focus needs to be to remain faithful in the waiting. Because what this world will tell us is that we have to turn around because if we're not aware of the enemies, if if we aren't aware of, of, of the ways that the enemy is trying to, to get a grasp on us, then that's an issue. And so the world will tell us that we have to turn around. But what David is showing here is that he can know about the enemy and not be focused on him. Instead, he's focused on God. That's the only place that matters. And to remain faithful in the waiting, the only place our focus can be, has to be, and should be, is on our Lord, God Almighty. All right, y'all can sit down. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. But you know, David was not alone in the waiting room. God gifted him with a companion named Jonathan who was Saul's son. At the time when Saul was endlessly trying to pursue and kill David, Jonathan was someone David could confide in. And on one occasion, in chapter 20, verse 4, Jonathan even tells David that he would do anything for him. Anything. We see Jonathan is present in a lot of David's life, especially his time spent running from Saul. But we get a clear glimpse into this friendship between David and Jonathan, as well as his commitment to God's way, when he learns that both Saul and Jonathan had died. This passage in 2 Samuel chapter 1 shows a lot about David's character and why he was called a man after God's own heart. So essentially, a man, a soldier from the Israeli army comes to David, and he tells David the, the the news that Saul has died, and the reason he's died is because he asked this soldier to kill him on the battlefield. He was on his deathbed, and he asked to be killed. 
And he tells David this. But then David immediately questions him, saying, why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Now hold up one second. If I'm this soldier, I'm very confused at this point. I thought I was bringing you good news, David, that the one thing in your way from the kingship that we all want you to have, that we all want you to be on the throne of, of, of this land, Israel, the one thing in your way is now gone. And it wasn't like you went out and killed him yourself. I did that for you, and he even asked me to. He was about to die regardless. Why is this an issue? You should be rejoicing. I'm so confused. And David responds in such a crazy way by commanding that this soldier be killed for what he did. You see, David recognized that the promise God made him was going to come to pass. There was no doubt in that. And he had enough faith in God's words that there, weren't any, there, there was not any room for doubt to slip in to convince him that those words were not true. And even though Saul was trying to kill him, David waited out the storm, knowing that killing Saul and taking matters into his own hands was not what God wanted in the waiting. David was called a man after God's own heart because he wasn't a man after the throne of Israel. You see, he could have easily chased after the throne, chased after the promise, but instead he chose to chase after the one who promised it. His focus was elsewhere. His focus was on God because he knew that if I'm faithful to God, God will be faithful to me and the promise that he made me. And David finally pours out his heart for Jonathan and Saul individually in verses 24 through 26 of chapter 2. First for Saul, as David says, O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. You see, David is telling those in Israel to weep, weep for the one who was trying to kill him. And I believe that the reason he's saying this about Saul is because David wants to make it very clear that before he takes over the throne of Israel, he's recognizing and even celebrating the life of the one who previously held that position. David didn't look at Saul for what he did. He looked at Saul for who he was. And that point this morning, I, I, I want to pause here and talk about this because I, I think this applies a lot to our lives. Often we, we, we look in the mirror and we look at ourselves for what we do. Because if I look at myself for what I do, I sin, I mess up, I fall short of God's commands, and I don't, I'm, I'm not always faithful to God. But if I look in the mirror from God's perspective and look at me for who I am, if I'm reading this book right, who I am is someone who was created in the image of God, who was adopted, who was redeemed, who was saved and is now being sanctified because of that cross 2,000 years ago and a guy who got on it for me and everyone else in this room. He, he didn't look at Saul for what he did. What he did was try to kill him. He looked at Saul for who he was. Who he was was the Lord's anointed way before he was. And if we can shift our focus and begin to truly recognize who God says we are, regardless of what we do, and know that God will still love us through that, God will still be there for us through that with open arms for us to run back into, then it's going to completely change the way we live our lives. Often I, I, I wear a necklace that has a mirror on both sides, and I, I got it from a middle school retreat that we took. We took 120 middle schoolers to Atlanta, Georgia. It was madness. Um, a few weeks ago on a, on a weekend retreat called Believe. And during this retreat, they gave everyone, students, leaders, staff members, everyone, uh, these dog tags that had a mirror on both sides. And before every service and after every service, they would have us look in the mirror at ourselves 
to remind us who God says we are. And who God says we are are people created in his image. Sin has distorted that a lot, but it has not destroyed it. And so we, we, we have to change our mindset to not only look at ourselves by who we are, not what we do, but look at others. Not, not looking at others by what they do, because what they do will disappoint you. But who they are are brothers and sisters who were created in the same image that we were created in. That's God's. David then goes on to lament over Jonathan, his best friend. And here David says, how mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. So David is sorrowful over Jonathan's death, but he's recognizing how great of a companion he was while they were still together. He was willing to trust David that God's way was the best way. And maybe today there's someone in here who is frustrated in their period of waiting because they've been trying to do it alone. You see, God has created us to be in communion, not only with him, but with the ones around us as well. And if, I, if, if either of those two relationships are lacking in any way, shape, or form, then all we're going to be is frustrated. If our relationship with God, us and God, is lacking, there's an issue. If our relationships with the ones around us, if we have some things to mend, there's an issue. And David recognizes both of those relationships here. Well, eventually in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, David becomes king in Israel. Everyone comes together to celebrate and is super excited for their journey that's about to start with him on the throne of Israel. And I can only imagine what it must have been, for, uh, been like for David in this moment, amidst all the celebration and all of, of the good times that lie ahead because God is in this. If I'm David, I'm going to find a time to step away by myself, just, just me and God, and look back on how far he's brought me. And see the, the twists and turns that I had to get around every time Saul tried to kill me, how he saved me from that. Every time the world told me not to be faithful, to, to not look to God anymore. David, you're not getting anywhere. It's been so many years. Every time I heard that in my head, I'm here now with God looking back, seeing how faithful he was because I was faithful to him. There's a Casting Crown song that I love, and it's called Already There. You may have heard it before. And there's one line in that song in particular that has guided me through some really, really, really tough times of waiting and questioning God over the past few years of my life. And it says, one day I will stand before you and look back on the life I've lived and see how all the pieces fit. You see, what I believe here today is one day we're all going to stand before God. And in that moment, I'm super excited Super excited to look back with God on the life I've lived and see how every single piece, even the broken ones, were part of the puzzle. And how he, he ordained certain things to, to go certain ways so that he could get me to the final destination he was trying to bring me to in his presence in heaven. But even now, on this stage, I'm, I'm thinking back to my life thus far. I'm looking back on my life thus far. And like I said at the beginning, if, if you would have told me in high school that I would be up here, I would have laughed and thought you were crazy. But today, I'm, I'm getting the privilege and the opportunity to walk into what I believe God's called me to do for the rest of my time here. Because I'm choosing to at least try to be faithful to him and his promise. So today, I'm not sure what season you're in. Maybe everything in your life is great. 
Maybe finances are great, everyone's healthy, and maybe you and God have this life thing figured out, but maybe, just maybe, you're in here today and you're in a season of waiting. You know in your heart, God, I feel like you've made me a promise, but every day you're losing more and more and more faith in God being able to bring that promise to be. You know, something I've learned in my short time on this earth is it's really easy to trust God on the other side of the waiting. It's really easy for me to say, God, I trust you to get me through the waiting after the waiting's behind me, after I've already come out of the waiting room. But this morning, what if God is challenging us, me included, to when we're in a season of waiting, actually begin to trust him, not just say it. God, I trust you. But I have all these questions as to whether I can actually do that. God, I'm, I'm gonna be faithful to you. But then I change my mind and I try to do my own thing. I take matters into my own hands. I try to get myself out of this waiting room that you've placed me in for a purpose, on purpose. So this morning, I want us to be people who can shift our focus, allow God to shift our focus. And just like David did, reminding ourselves day in and day out that I don't have to focus on what's behind me. I don't have to focus on the enemies that are, that are trying to constantly get a hold on me to distract me from God. The only thing that I have to be focused on, the only thing God's calling me to be focused on is him. Not even the promise he made me, just him. Because the promise is gonna come eventually. But the only way I'm gonna get there, the only way we're gonna get there is if we stop where we are right now in this moment and recognize that God is the only path. Jesus says it's a narrow path, but God is the only path to where the promise is. And God, God has given us the minds necessary to make a choice, to either be faithful to the war, world around us, be faithful to the people around us, or be faithful to God before all else. As we've seen through the life of David this morning, God desires obedience and faith in him even when we don't get specifics. Even when he doesn't map out the path for us, tell us what it's going to look like. We have to be people that, that recognize that he has already gone before us. He's promised to be with us. And we have to start walking. I believe God has us all right where he wants us, individually and collectively. So today, are we going to make the choice to be people who will say, God, I trust you, maybe for the first time, but I trust you. I'm not just saying it anymore. I trust you that you will be faithful, and I'm making you a promise that when all else fails in my life, I recognize that you're still here. I recognize you've been here from the start, and you'll be here way after completion. And I'm recognizing that the only thing I need amidst everything I could possibly want is you and you alone. Will we be people that are faithful to the world? Or will we be people that are faithful, even in the waiting, to God?